0: Welcome to CruxCast. Whether you're in your car, at work or at home, we hope you enjoy this interview. And if you do, you can find more like it on cruxinvestor.com, so please subscribe. We speak today to Riaz Rizvi, who is the Chief Commercial Officer for Casa Atomprom, Uranium producer, 25% of which is listed here in London. We talk about perceptions in the marketplace, uh, the macro supply demand story, as you'd expect. Uh, We look at the impact of Covid, when they will resume production and how indeed they go about it. We talk about pricing. Uh, and we talk about the way that they hope 2020 looks and uh, rolls into 2021. So enjoy the podcast. Riaz, how are you doing, sir? Very well. Good to see you. Yeah, well, thanks for joining us. Fantastic. First time on the show. Everyone's yep. excited. Um, and obviously, a lot going on at the moment. But um, I always ask people to kind of kick off, give us a one minute overview of the business.
1: Well, Kazatomprom is the national operator um, for Kazakhstan uh, in uh, in the nuclear sector. Um, so, we occupy the whole front end of the fuel cycle. Um, we're the largest producer in the world. Um, we have the largest uh, reserves uh, in the world. And uh, just to put that in perspective, Kazakhstan produces forty percent of world primary uranium production. Uh, Kazatomprom is about twenty four percent, and then the rest is attributable to our uh, joint venture partners. Um, we are also uh, one of the lowest uh, um, in terms of our environmental footprint uh, because of the way that we mine. Uh, all of our uh, uh, deposits are uh, ISR amenable, uh, which we'll come on to, I'm sure, in, in, in a few minutes. Uh, but it means that we have the smallest uh, environmental footprint um, relative to our production size Um, We have been public since the end of 2018. We IPO'd uh, on the London Stock Exchange and on the Astana exchange. Um, And, um, you know, as far as the company is concerned, uh, being the lowest cost producer, we pretty much occupy the the bottom tier of uh, of the cost curve. Uh, It makes us very resilient, uh, very uh, financially sound low debt uh, leverage ratios. And I would say, um, you know, it seems maybe somewhat contradictory, but having been the largest producer in the world since 2012, uh, we're now also the largest seller of Uranium in the world. So, it's uh, it's a combination that you don't often see, I would say in, in commodities to, to have uh, all of those factors, largest, lowest cost, least environmental footprint um, with the biggest reserves uh, and, and the largest sales, but uh, uh, it's a fairly unique business from that perspective.
0: Well, it is. It is a very unique business um, because you come from a culture of well, a, a business model and a culture of being a state owned enterprise, where typically, and I've worked on the oil side of, of, of this equation, is where the focus is on production, not commerciality. So yeah. with the listing. Two years ago, you're having to, I guess, change things. So, you know, what is the difference between pre two thousand eighteen versus post two thousand eighteen?
1: Yeah, uh, it's uh, it's night and day, really. Um, you know, when you go back to uh, the inception of prom back in nineteen ninety seven, uh, it it the country produced less than a thousand tons of uranium, so it was not even a, a player in in the market, um, and Uh, put a very strong emphasis on growth. Uh, And I think a lot of mining companies do assume that the more you produce, uh, the more money you make because you're driving down your costs. And that was really the mindset up until 2016. Uh, But we saw over that period, uh, a huge destruction in value in terms of um, a collapse in the Uranium price from a peak of about 138 dollars in 2007, you know, certainly post-Fukushima. Um, a lot of demand came out of the market and Uranium prices collapsed to around $18 in, uh, in 2016. So it became clear to everyone that we needed to rethink our, our business model. And um, early 2017, which is when I got involved with Prom, uh we started looking at this value over uh, volume model. It's, uh, it, it's, it's not rocket science. Um, it's something that a lot of companies have adopted, but I think we were fairly uniquely placed. One, because uh, of the significant size that we uh, occupy within the, the market space, um, you know, it really taking a leadership role and, uh, and uh, emphasizing the uh, responsibility that we have uh, to, to look at the market and, and produce in relation to the market um, rather than chasing this objective of, uh, of growth at, uh, at its, for its own sake. Um, but also the, the unique um, ability that we have with our in situ recovery mining to basically flex up and flex down our production without it actually impacting on our uh, unit cost of production uh, is a very important factor and really drives our strategy now. Uh, which is much more market centric. So, from that perspective, we, uh, you know, we uh, design our uh, medium and long term production and sales plans based on our fundamental view of the market. Uh, which means that in 2017, for the first time, Kazatomprom announced that it was cutting production, um, and uh, and then we extended essentially a reduction in our uh, planned production. For the period of 2018 to 2020. And most recently, we've extended that to 2021. Um, And that's made a big difference. I mean, we were not the only ones to cut within the the Uranium space. We uh, obviously saw um, uh, Cameco, uh, Orano, um, the Russians, Rosatom, all also either taking assets offline. We saw Paladin disappear and a number of other um, smaller companies basically go into um, um, care and maintenance so there's been a rationalization of the industry uh, which really kicked off in in 2017 and I think it's it's really gone a long way to bringing the market back into balance apart from that there's a lot of other things that we did internally which I'm happy to talk about but,
0: yeah um, I, I do want I do want to talk about those yes um mm. let me if I may because there's a few things you touched upon there. The thing I want to start with before we get into you know assets and contracts and, and everything else that is uh, exciting the market at the moment is perception. Okay, so they brought you in in 2017. You're an ex-trader with Constellation, I think. You've worked in finance. You've also got um, Russell Barnum and Neil Longfellow in there on the yep. board to. Show some degree of sort of, you know, independence, uh, not independence. Maybe yeah. that's the wrong word. Some sort of unbiased governance, I, I, I think. Okay. Right. Which coming back to the state-owned components, you know, there's a very adversarial language used by North American yeah. companies when they're talking about Kazakhstan, Prom, yeah. and Russia. Okay, and we saw that in the Section Two Three Two petition. Um, some of that language, and you know, do you think that? is weighing heavily on the mind of the board. Do you think it affects decision-making or do you have to just get on with business?
1: Well I would um, start even earlier than than the IPO in in looking at what Kazatomprom has been doing. Um, I mean our former chairman of the board, John Dudas, who is an ex-BHP metals and mining executive, um, he came on board. I think about three years before our IPO. So I think very early on, there was a, a, a realisation that um, you know, trying to bring about um, a, a governance structure and an independence um, was very important. And in fact, if we go back to the creation of Samarup Kazina, which is the sovereign wealth fund of Kazakhstan, you know, all the major um, national companies are all housed under this umbrella of Samruk kazina. So, uh, you know, the national oil company, telecoms, postal service, rail and Kazatomprom. So they were our 100% uh, shareholder. And the mandate for Samruk was very simple, which is to create long-term sustainable value. So there was already a a degree of separation between um, our company Kazatomprom and the government. Um, and uh, and that was very deliberate. And the second part of that uh, uh, kind of long-term government thinking was trying to um, get as close to OECD standards as possible in pretty much everything that uh, it does, from uh, economy, healthcare, education. Um, so a big part of that was reducing the role of government in the economy, and the privatization really came from that. So. Uh, Kazatomprom was the first company to IPO within the Samrook portfolio, and obviously Samrook have uh, have uh, very uh, uh, ambitious plans to privatise uh, many of the other companies within the portfolio. And it's a very deliberate government policy to reduce its role. So now essentially Samrook has gone from being 100% shareholder to being 75% shareholder. Um, and uh, really the governance structure uh, very much predated even the discussions around the IPO, um, which is atypical. Uh, very often w- when you're getting a government company uh, ready for, for IPO, um, you know, suddenly you've got a rent a board that pops out of nowhere. Uh, but but the, the guys on our board, the, the independent uh, non-executive directors are all industry guys. Um, they have really strong track records. Um, in our sector, or um, you know, in in um, in governance around accounting and finance and so on, um, and they've brought a huge amount. So, um, I would say there is a there is a clear distinction, and I think it's uh, it's evident in in the relationship that we have with our other investors that, that really we cannot give priority uh, to to our our, our major shareholder, um, and and our investors are very comfortable with that. In terms of um, the role and uh, the relationship with Russia, look, I think uh, you know Rosatom is is uh, is a, a partner of ours, a JV partner of ours. If you look at our production, um, we have 13 uh, mining companies. Uh, three are 100% owned subsidiaries. The other 10 are joint ventures. So we have a joint venture with the Canadians with Kemica, with the, with the French Orano. We have two joint ventures with um, Japanese consortium, which include. A number of utilities, one led by Sumitomo, the other one by Marubeni. Uh, we have a joint venture with the Chinese CGN. Uh, so Rosatom is clearly an important joint venture partner for us. Um, but we, uh, you know, we have a strategy which is very focused on Kazatomprom and, and Kazakhstan's interests and looking at um, uh, the supply-demand picture in the market. Um, and uh, and I think the scaremongering that some some people have been trying to, uh, uh, you know, trying to associate um, um, Kazakhstan or put it within the sphere of influence of, of Russia. I think is uh, yeah, it's a kind of a naive approach. Yeah, I mean, and there
0: has been a lot of that narrative in the market because it's it's uh, also goes to. The same conversations go to your your controlling price in the market, trying to put people out of business. Um, but you know I'm reading your literature and it says, you know you're a commercial enterprise now, you're not a state owned yeah. um, operation, although you are you you know partially listed. Um, yeah. I mean what, again, do you is it the same answer? It's a sort of naive outlook to think that you would want to operate at suboptimal levels?
1: Yeah. I think that uh, you know the industry hasn't done itself uh, uh, any any kindness by ignoring market fundamentals and we've all paid the price of it and it really talks to the sustainability of the industry overall that we would have allowed um, uh, prices to uh, fall to levels where you know even the largest and lowest cost producer is struggling to to um, cover their costs. Um, and if you look at the demand growth that uh, we're seeing in the market over the next 10 years, uh, it is absolutely critical, not only uh, that, uh, that um, you know some of the, the, the mothballed uh, production come back into the market to fill that gap between supply and demand, but also that new production come online. Uh, and, and right now the price signals unfortunately aren't there um, to incentivize that uh, uh, new build, or, or even really bringing back um, tier very quality tier one assets uh, to the market. So the the risk is that, um, and we've seen it in many other commodities, in electricity and coal and iron ore. That um, you know everybody knows that we need material in the future, but the price today doesn't incentivize the investment that's required um, to get us there. Okay, and then just
0: again, just keep. I just want to keep on this theme because there's a, there's a few conversations going on there out there, and I just want to either knock them on the head or um, or at least add some new data to those. So, if is there is there any uh, truth to you know your desire to try and force some of these higher cost producers out of the market so that you can maintain and grow, or even, sorry, even grow market share without necessarily growing the business?
1: No, I mean, if you look at everything that we've done um, over the last uh, three to four years it's it's very apparent we' are cutting production uh, we're reducing the amount that's uh that's going into the market, trying to bring the market you know into balance uh, and and we believe that a, a healthy uranium market is really uh, the right answer, not just uh, in terms of uh, giving utilities. a a choice and and a diversified um, portfolio of supply, which we think is really the right strategy for any utility that's looking for security supply. We don't want to be hundred percent of anybody's portfolio. Um, But, but um, you know, also um, it's important that the nuclear industry know that the Uranium will be there for them um, uh, as they make these very large capital investments in, uh, into new nuclear power plants, um, and and putting that at risk, it really jeopardises the industry, so it's absolutely not in our interest.
0: Good. Okay. And, and just, I think, final one, in terms of this area, do you, th- I think Mr. prematov has stated that they want to grow their U.S. Um, production, in terms of supply. Market share. Market share, sorry. Market share, sorry. Oh, Market yeah, share. Yeah. Um, currently at about 8%. Um, do you think this sort of anti-Eastern European Russian Kazakh rhetoric is mm-hmm. will affect your ability to do that?
1: Uh, I don't think so at all. Um, it's very interesting. Um, I, I'm sure many of your viewers uh, are aware of the uh, 232 investigation, um, which two petitioners uh, basically uh, launched and the Department of Commerce uh, presented a, a view on. Um, we consulted uh, with uh, a lot of U.S. utilities at the time, and it was really very positive to see how supportive the U.S. utilities were of Kazatomprom and of Kazakhstan. I mean, Kazakhstan is a very uh, strong ally of, um, of Western Europe and uh, and the U.S. And there's a huge amount of foreign direct investment, over $40 billion, just Chevron's investments in, in Kazakhstan in oil, as I'm sure you know. Um, so um in terms of where kazakhstan's economy is most closely tied it's uh, you know i would say um uh, it's very well balanced between um all of its neighbors um so yeah it, i think the actions uh of the utilities who are our customers uh, probably speak volume in terms of um uh you know just don't believe don't believe the 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 hype uh, of a couple of um, um, you
0: know. I feel a song. I feel a song coming on. Don't believe the hype. <laughs> um, <laughs> so and you mentioned a, a few of your joint venture partners there. You know and and you've also said you need to you know keep developing minds. And I do want to get on to production in in a second here. So mm-hmm. you have a number of um, joint venture partners. Was that a function of needing to buy in the skills? And if you were to develop new minds going forward, would you need those partners anymore?
1: Yeah, no, that's a great, good question. Um, you know, the short answer is uh, those joint ventures were really created in the early days because I problem when there was a huge amount of infrastructure and not much access to capital. It was a new country. Um, it had no experience in terms of um, marketing uh, to the West. Um, so our joint venture partners brought a number of skills. Um, Not necessarily in mining, uh, which I think is most people's assumption, because in fact, our expertise in 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 situ recovery mining has has really uh, been there from the start, and and we're still very much the world leaders there. Um, But in terms of access to markets, um, in terms of access to technologies, I mean, uh, the Canadians brought us um, uh, access to conversion uh, IP. uh, So, you know, we have the ability to. Um, build our own conversion facility in Kazakhstan should the markets um, need that. Um, with the Russians, it was access to SWU capacity, the enrichment uh, capacity, um, all of which were essentially leading towards um, having a, uh, 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 a position within the whole front end of the fuel cycle mining, conversion, enrichment, and then fabricating the fuel that goes into. A nuclear power plant, uh, which is essentially a joint venture between ourselves and our Chinese partners, uh, that should be coming online uh, shortly.
0: So, you're 100% in Kazakhstan. There's yep. a very difficult environment. You're ISR specialists, that's, that's your, your focus. But there's a lot of talk in the marketplace about the timing of when long term contracts will start to be signed again. And that mm. that is being put out. And, I, and again we'll get onto utilities and, and long term contracts in a second. But sure. is there any part of your business plan which involves MA activity outside of Kazakhstan?
1: It's it's very difficult to justify investing anywhere else. I mean we have priority access to all uranium deposits in Kazakhstan. So what that means is and it's it's very different to you know, some of the other commodities that you you deal with, when the price runs up, suddenly you see 500 juniors pop up on the TSX and the ASX, all of whom claim to have the next big deposit. Um, No foreign company can come and start exploring for Uranium or producing Uranium in Kazakhstan. Um, That's embedded in the legislation. And uh, going forward, we cannot sell down um, our our holdings in those joint ventures uh, below 51%. So, in all future joint ventures, we will be the majority shareholder. Um, but I think the the drivers that brought uh, those partners into Kazakhstan for them was very obvious. It's access to the best resources in the world. Um, for us at the time, it was very logical, um, but if you look at the amount of cash that we generate relative to the cost of bringing new Deposits online. Um, it's absolutely uh, the case that we don't need uh, joint venture partners anymore. So, were we to uh, bring partners in, it would be for a much more strategic reason, um, you know, if at all.
0: Okay. And recent announcements, you've given guidance um, to the market that you've got to be able to deliver against um, contracts for 2020, may giving mm-hmm. yourself the option of maybe dipping into the market if you need to, depending on how long Covid mm-hmm. uh, lockdown restricts your production capabilities. Yeah. Yeah. So, and in the same breath, you talk about continuing to uh, issue dividends. Yep. So how does <laughs> that work? Why is that not affected?
1: Well, you know, you've got to basically separate production from sales. That's the first thing. Um, We uh, have the lowest cost production and we've seen uh, markets, um, you know, really respond to the change in supply and demand dynamics in the short term. Uh, Uranium prices have gone from $25 pre-COVID to, you know, $33 today. So in terms of revenues, Our sales haven't changed. We still expect, in fact, most of uh, what we um, are selling in 2020 was already committed, uh, you know, before uh, we really started to see COVID impact production. Um, Our inventory levels, which were a little bit higher than uh, we wanted uh, or that we we aim for, um, give us something of a buffer. but virtually all of our sales are tied to the uranium spot price. Uh, so from that perspective, even if we do have to buy in the market to cover some of our sales, uh, you know our contracts will never really be out of the money, so to speak. Um, so we feel very good that uh, even having reduced our production uh, levels this year, uh, we'll be able to meet our sales targets and our revenues. Um, you know are certainly going to be helped by a, a higher Uranium price. So it allows us to pay out um, uh, dividends going forward and, and we're very comfortable about that. Okay. And I'm,
0: I'm just trying to understand, understand the logic and the mentality of it, because obviously you're, you've got contracts, you've got some production, but it's been affected by this, um, we're up to four months now of this lockdown mm-hmm. period. Yeah. You're eating yeah. into inventory off the balance sheet I think the market would forgive you if you didn't pay dividends. But does this come back to this perception issue that you're having to work just that little bit harder?
1: No, it's uh, you know uh, it's it's a business with um, cash costs of eleven to twelve dollars, selling uranium at thirty-three dollars. You know, our all-in costs are uh, somewhere in the region of thirteen and a half to fourteen dollars. So it's a very cash-generative business. And as a result, we have a very clear dividend policy in place, uh, which is essentially that we pay out 75% of free cash flows, um, as long as our net debt-adjusted uh, EBITDA, attributable EBITDA, um, stays below uh, one times, um, and we're well below that. As I mentioned, we're a fairly unlevered business, so we can afford to pay out cash. And frankly, there is nothing else really that um, uh, we See uh, generating the same types of returns for our investors um, as as our uranium uh, mining business. So when the time's right, we will be reinvesting uh, into into new deposits. Uh, but the market isn't telling us to do that right now.
0: Okay. Can we talk about um, how la- lagging between um, production versus wellhead development? Because mm-hmm. you know, obviously, yeah. COVID has impacted. Activities in country uh, as it as it should do. You, you're doing all the right things for all the right reasons. But what's the, what is the lag there? And you know, what's the, When's the next review point where you kind of come back to market and say, well, actually, we're going to, have to reassess things.
1: Yeah, I guess there are two parts to your question. Uh, reassess in terms of um, you know whether we need to go back into the market and buy material. Mm. I think we're getting close to that point. Mm. Um, reassess in terms of um, uh what um, we do in relation to social distancing and in in protecting our uh, employees and 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 their welfare, which is obviously um, our top priority, it's a top priority I think of uh, of any mining company. Um, that is an ongoing dialogue with uh, with uh, um, uh, the government, uh, the local uh, health authorities, uh, as well as reviewing whether, um, the preconditions are met to be able to start bringing people back on site. Um, we we took a view uh, a week ago that that just wasn't the case, um, and we'll continue to uh, reevaluate um, as um, as the situation unfolds. It's very very difficult. Kazakhstan moved so early, and and they were so successful at closing down the the, the growth of. Um, uh, of, of this pandemic in country. Um, and then as all countries are grappling with this question, they started to relax uh, measures. And then we started to see a fairly significant um, uh, increase in the number of cases, which has forced the government to, to basically uh, reimpose some restrictions. And uh, and we've got to basically measure uh, what we do uh, relative to uh, to what's happening in the country and in the communities around our minds.
0: Okay but, it, as, but as the longer this goes on, the you, you run out of options. so you were able to in the last set of guidance maintain guidance which is yep. which is good. but like I say you had given yourself the option of getting going into market. Um, yep. but what's the next point what's the next date that we should be looking for in terms of the, the next uh, guidance issuance from you?
1: It's it's very difficult for us to say, I mean, take a step back. You asked about the time lag. We're not going to see really any material deviation in our production volumes for the first half, okay. in spite of the fact that we said that mid-April we were imposing uh, social distancing, force majeure was declared at all the mine sites, um, because there is at least a three to four month lag between when you're doing something on site and when the uranium uh is being produced, it means that the steps that we took in April are only really going to affect the second half of the year. The longer that we continue to have to uh maintain the social distancing and and, and uh you know we can't resume the drilling and the injection uh that's required, uh it may not necessarily impact on this year's production, but we might start to see uh, an impact on 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 next year, but we're not guiding to 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 2021 yet. Okay, because your
0: inventory inventory levels that I've read are about six months. Is that
1: about right? Um, going into this year, they were uh, around eight months, and our right. target is six to seven months. And we we do need to stay at around those levels um, in order to operate properly. Okay, and then
0: so what you're saying in terms of when you will be able to inform the market about what the impact has been. It, it may roll over into next year. Your calendar year, are you? Yes. Right. Okay. Interesting. Interesting. Let's talk about utilities then. Okay. Because okay. <laughs> um, the great mystery that is utilities. Now we've we've had a few conversations. We um, were involved with the AusIMM conference last week, uh, chaired a panel, and, you know, it, fantastic uh, speakers and so forth. But the the general mood seems positive because the macro story is positive. Obviously, the current situation we find ourselves in with COVID and the reduced um, supply around the world is, as I said earlier, getting uranium bulls quite excited. But everyone's waiting for utilities to do something, and and the feeling is that they can't do anything until two things happen, and that's uh, one. we get a sense of you know what's happening with COVID, you because know, they've got their own um, issues, and to the U.S. elections. Do you agree with the, those as the reasons, or do you think there's more to it than that? Why aren't they making decisions now about long-term contracts?
1: Well, um, taking a step back and looking at how the market's been over the last uh, six to seven years, it's really paid utilities uh, to defer their buying decisions. Uh, because the market has just continually fallen since uh, 2012. Um, So I think that's that's the basic mindset. And that mindset's been helped by the fact that in an oversupplied spot market, they've been able to defer long-term negotiations by buying one to three years out. And that's a pattern that we've really seen with financial intermediaries buying in the spot market and offering one to three-year RFPs. We haven't seen a huge amount of contracting uh, longer term, but at the same time, and and everybody recognizes this is in the market. Um, you know, you you look out to the end of the 2020s, and you've got this gaping deficit between demand and supply. So we all recognize that new production needs to come into the market, um, and, uh, and 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 uh, the price signals aren't there. So. For those who are invested or are excited about uranium, I think there is a lot to be excited about, because we do see that prices need to rise to incentivize new supply to fill that supply-demand gap, and you know uranium is a non-substitutable good. You can't put anything else into a power station, um, and price elasticity of demand is 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 virtually zero, because even when uranium prices go up, there's such a small part of the cost of a megawatt hour. Um, and in most jurisdictions, the nuclear uh, generator is the base load uh, lowest cost producer uh, of, of electricity um, that essentially uh, utilities um, are more focused on security supply and less focused on absolute price. Now, having said that, um, last few years there's been no snow issues around security of supply because you could always pick up material in the spot market. What COVID's done, I think, is whilst the market went into balance in 2018, um, the the loss in production that we've seen this year, not just ourselves, but in pretty much all major jurisdictions, means that there is uh, much less material in the spot market. So Why aren't utilities doing something about that? You know, frankly, um, I've been on the other side of that table um, as a a, a, a utility trader um, looking at fuel procurement. And, you know, the short answer is they've got much more important things and much tougher things to deal with right now um, than their nuclear fuel procurement. Um, And I think the the decision-making is really around uh, today, um, dealing with COVID um, dealing with the other parts of the front end of the fuel cycle. Um, you know there there are a lot of questions around uh, enrichment and conversion um, and, uh, and yes they will get to uranium. Um, previously I would have said you know that's a discussion for next year or maybe the year after um, but I think those discussions will happen sooner than later.
0: So when are you going to get back into um Contracting.
1: Well, we're always contracting. But what? Uh, but there's. I'm, I'm, I'm
0: kind of what I want to talk about is, is price. Okay, so the price had a little yeah. bit of a bump recently. Settled back yep. down. But, but you know, it hasn't really moved the needle for a lot of people. I get that you're the lowest quartile producer, lowest quartile yep. producer, and that's that's great for you. You can still make yep. money. But there's got to be an optimum price at which you want to contract. You want to drive the price higher, don't you?
1: I don't want to drive the price higher. Um, that's not our objective. Um, but I recognise that the price does need to go higher for supply and demand to, to balance uh, out this decade and beyond. Um, in terms of a, a target price, we never give one. Um, we can't. Um, but you know, I think we are still a ways off a long-term sustainable price and that price is well below a new build incentive price. Because you've got to think of the billions of capex that need to go into a new mine you know, the 10-year lead time to bring new production uh, uh, into the market um, and a return on that capex uh, with by definition, probably any new projects coming on, not having the same economics that we're seeing from the tier one projects uh, that, that we run um, and that uh, some of our partners run as well. So long-term, I think uh, you're right to be bullish about Uranium. Uh, short term, there are still factors in the market which mean that um, buyers are not focused on um, buying uranium right now. And you know, this this big run up that we've seen has really been uh, driven by producers replacing pounds that they're not producing this year um, from their own mines, due largely to um, closing closing mines for economic reasons and and COVID. So we haven't seen any utilities, we haven't seen any financial players in the market this year, which is a real difference from, let's say, um, some of the uh, run-ups that we've seen in the in the the, the the previous few years, which have been more trader um, and, uh, and and speculation driven rather than fundamentally driven.
0: Thank you for that. I appreciate you, there's places you can't go, which um, fair enough. Um, But what do you think that's going to do to the marketplace? Because there's a lot of companies, and I don't necessarily want you to quote talk about companies here, but just generically, there's a lot of companies that need prices in the 50s and the 60s to get back into commercial production. And that is where they want the market to go. But between now and then, there's a long, long road ahead. Do you think that the return to the sorts of higher, these Higher prices um, are imminent, or do you think we're looking towards the middle of next year before we'll allow the market to actually, you know, fi- find its own feet? Because it seems like it's being held back at the moment by, you know, several fac- several factors, which again we right. can go into later.
1: Right. I think when we uh, see utilities and producers sitting down um, is a tough. Uh, question to answer because uh, I, I do genuinely think that a lot of it is tied up around um, um, utilities really struggling to deal with uh, their, their issues in the rest of their portfolio. I mean, nuclear is phenomenally resilient. You know, you reload once every 12 to 18 months, and then you just kind of close the gate and, 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 and run the plant-based load. But a lot of our customers have coal in their portfolio. They have gas in their portfolio. So they're struggling with a whole bunch of issues. Um, uh, Nuclear fuel isn't necessarily one of them. But at the same time, I think when utilities start to go out for those one to three-year RFPs, depending on how much material is available in the spot market that is offered to them um, in the form of a carry, um, if that, if those pounds aren't there, I think that's the point at which utilities and producers need to sit down and say, alright, we as producers, in order to ensure the next 5 or 10 years, we need a price level that allows us to make those investments. We're not going to lock in a 10-year loss. Um, and therefore, if, that's, if you need material in the next few years and beyond, let's start to have the conversation about um, where we can make a, a fair return on, on, on our assets. Okay. Given
0: that you want to get more of the market share in the US, um, do you see the actions of the the current administration and and the potential next administration, in regard to their involvement with the nuclear fuel working group, um, Mm -hmm. having any immediate effect? Because they seem to have made it into a very big puzzle that they're trying to solve, which is the whole (laughs) nuclear fuel cycle. Um, What's that going to do for U.S. uranium um, producers or wannabe producers.
1: Well, you know, keep in mind that um, so kazatomprom produces about twenty-four percent of global primary production. Only ten, less than ten percent of what we produce goes to the U.S. So it's a very small part of our portfolio. But the U.S. is by far the largest uh, buyer in the world. I mean, <clears throat> they're buying fifty million pounds a year. So. Um, it it makes sense for us to want to grow our market share in the US um, and in Europe, really um, uh, to diversify our portfolio. Um, But, um, you know, whether I think that um, there are policies that are going to make it more difficult for us to do that, um, you know, first of all, No, I I don't really think that's the case. I don't think Kazatomprom is being targeted and Kazakhstan uh, is recognized by our customers as a key component within um, their security supply strategies. Um, The working group has made some recommendations which would see um, funds go towards supporting production of domestic US uranium, which will then be used as a strategic stockpile. So that production doesn't impact on, on global supply and demand. And I think that was an excellent decision because the last thing we need is um, market forces that distort um, uh, prices and slow down the recovery of, uh, of the industry, which, uh, you know, a quota or tariff or subsidies to uh, U.S. miners for material that gets sold to uh, utilities would have brought surplus material into the market, and that's absolutely not what the market needs. So I think the decision was the right one. I think further decisions will continue to be very mindful of the fact that uh, U.S. utilities produce 20% of U.S. electricity through nuclear, um, and it's one of the only countries really in the world where nuclear does struggle in certain markets um, with very low gas prices, but it is, you know, the 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 most reliable baseload yeah. uh, source of clean energy.
0: Okay, so I just want to I, I did want to ask you about Mr. Premasov's quote, said you know, current prices are not sustainable. We're looking at the market from a long-term um, prospect, and it is in our interest that the changes will be sustainable and not for the short term. So I think there is a desire by any commercial entity. To see prices go up, and appreciate Mm -hmm. you can't give me a number, but that's fine. But because I'm just, we're running out of time, so I know you've got a hard start. But so the last question, if I may, with regards to resumption of production, that's not as easy as it sounds. You're not just turning a tap on. You've got plus twenty thousand people who are dispersed currently, uh, not where they need to be. Uh, and then you've got, from a technical perspective, ISR fields and just the way, that, the way that they operate, you know, how do you, what is the process for getting back to normality in terms of
1: production as you're targeting it? Well, this is unprecedented in our history, um, that we would take essentially all uh, m- uh, well-field development uh, offline for this period of time. So the short answer is, we don't know um, what the, what the uh, final impact will be on our production. Um, it's very difficult for us to gauge how quickly we can ramp up. I can certainly say it's not, uh, it's not a binary outcome. Um, if we start to bring people back onto site, it'll be slowly and cautiously, and it'll be really um, a function of uh, what's happening in terms of this pandemic. So I don't see us you know at the end of um, four months suddenly, fully staffed and, and back to, to trying to achieve full production. It's just not realistic. So um, it's going to take longer, and um, it's going to be more staged, I suspect <clears throat> than um, if we were operating a single conventional underground mine uh, where as soon as you, um, you know hit go, you start to produce. And then, of course, the time lag between when we start to re-drill, uh, re-inject and, and, and uh, the, those deposits start to produce is uh, anywhere 3-months-plus.
0: Uh, it's very challenging um, with an organisation of that size. That the, It's a it's like military precision required to get everyone back to where they need to be. But technically, are there increased, the longer this goes on, does it get harder to get back into those fields? And be producing?
1: Yeah, I mean, I would say nuclear precision rather than military precision. Oh, um, probably a better phrase. <laughs> uh, I stand corrected. Yeah, it, it 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 does. It certainly does get harder the longer uh, we uh, we're not operating, um, because we're we're moving uh, into winter, and um, for anybody who's been to Kazakhstan, you know, we're we're going to see minus forty degrees um, and. At those sorts of temperatures, we cannot uh, continue to inject the uh, the low pH solution that will be producing Uranium in the spring. Um, so we can continue to drill, but at, at a certain point we actually run up against uh, uh, essentially a hard stop on um, uh, the preparatory work that's necessary for, for next year's production.
0: Beautiful. I'm talking hard stops, I'm informed by your very uh, talented PR team that you have. One now, so I Great. I will say thank you very much. Uh, we're absolutely you know delighted that you've uh, come on the show and be able to talk to our uh, listeners and viewers. Uh, appreciate your your candor as well. Um, you've you've got a, a, a tough road ahead, as you say. Nuclear precision needed to deliver. Um, we Great. look forward to hearing how you get on. Thanks, Rian No,
1: it's been a
0: pleasure. Thanks for having me on the show.